T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. As we began to go out in these circles, you know, it was hard for me Um, for two years, two and a half years. um, My children were homeschooled. I kept them inside. We were in our protective bubble. Nobody in and nobody out. You know, we were ordering food online. We were doing a curbside pickup at Hy-Vee. If we couldn't get it uh, online at Target and pull up and have somebody pop it in the trunk, we were not getting it. Um, And I was afraid of this virus. I remember seeing the refrigerated trucks filled with bodies. I remember... um, talking to folks one day and then the next day they were gone. Um, so many people, elders in our church and community um, whose immune system was low and, and who did not survive and who didn't make it. Friends who lost parents and loved ones. Um, I watched children be orphaned because they lost both mother and father during the pandemic. And so when they opened up and they were like, hey, y'all come on back to school. I was like, mm, no, thank you. I'm not going to be the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth person back uh, up in there. Okay. I'm going to really be the last one and I'm going kicking and screaming. And as much as I love church, um, you know, it, it took a lot for me to go back into the sanctuary because I had began to live my life online. I began to um, do everything virtually. And people would ask me to come to events and come to gatherings as the world began to open up. Um, And I initially refused. I think I was the last holdout, last man standing. And and so I was um, appreciative of my friend, Dr. Yahuru Williams, um, being in this New York Times article Um, talking about how Americans are struggling for new balance as the pandemic drags on, as offices and restaurants and schools fill up, um, folks are adjusting expectations and habits um, in in a moment of uncertainty. And Dr. Williams has, it's just been too long since we chatted. And you know, when we get together, I just, I got my cognac, I got my legs crossed, (laughs) I I got my blanket, I'm I'm just finna sit back and just let you take over because, you know, whenever we talk, we get deep. And this New York Times column was deep. 
you know, everybody that I know is talking about it because everybody has their own comfort level. And some of us who were afraid to go out, who are now finally poking our head up out of the hole, you know, it is a struggle for balance. Um, the, the reporter rightly called you to get your perspective on it. What did you tell him? Well, it was interesting because we, I just had a book come out on the pandemic called Afterlife, mm-hmm. the collective mm-hmm. history of the pandemic. And what I told her essentially was, um, I think the trepidation that people have concerning um, getting back out is really rooted in the fact that this was a disruption unlike anything we've seen in our lifetime. I think there are other moments in our history that uh, for other people might approach this level of disruption. We could think about the Spanish flu and World War One and World War II, of course. But in terms of this generation, we haven't experienced anything like this. So it's going to take a long time for people to get back to the new normal. And I think you spoke to it earlier. There are a lot of folks who, you know, rightfully, particularly in black and brown communities, still have a great deal of fear about what this means. Because early on, what we saw was the pandemic ravage communities of color in particular, partly because of challenges to our healthcare system, partly because a lot of those people who were in those so-called essential worker positions were black and brown people. And so were more susceptible not only to contracting COVID themselves, but then bringing that home. So, it, you know, it had a detrimental impact in, in the black community in particular, um, in the native community and Latino community. But last but not least, um, you know, we, unfortunately, particularly as African-Americans, have a long history of um, distrust with uh, the medical field because of the experimentation that was done on black and brown bodies, going back to the Tuskegee experiment and um, books like uh, Margaret Washington's Medical Apartheid that speak to it or speak to that legacy. So that fear is real in our community. And the, you, health providers, health care providers, government officials, others really have to be cognizant of that as they're trying to understand and help communities of color in particular navigate post-pandemic life. But this is the thing. They think we're just being, um, you know, just extra careful. They think that, you know, we're being too cautious and, and, you know, they, you know, kind of brush it off. But this has been going on for generations and it's deeper than just um, not trusting what the CDC says about COVID. Um, You know, this has been going on since our great grandmother's grandmothers were around. And, you know, we weren't getting the best care and we weren't getting the best treatment. And, you know, they look at our mortality rate and wonder why we're dying sooner. And we have all these problems and issues. It's because we go to the doctor and say, this is happening. This is wrong. And nobody does anything until it's too late. Right. And, you know, when you you talk about that, Shaletta, it's so true because we go back to at the turn of the century, there's a um, a great piece in the in the volume we put together by a scholar who looks at uh, what was called the, quote, new Negro servants disease. There was an outbreak um, of infectious disease at the turn of the century, and they were blaming the black women who were coming into work as maids for spreading that disease when, in fact, they weren't spreading it at all at all. That's a long institutional, uh, deeply embedded or deeply ingrained memory um, that carries over over generations. So it's not as if, as you pointed out, you have people being resistant simply for the sake of being resistant. This isn't saying I don't want to wear a mask. No, this is rooted in, hey, you know, we are, if we were talking about employment, you know, the first uh, hired, last, uh, first, uh, last hired, first fired. Well, in this context, it's like, 
we almost become kind of the advanced guard or those people who are going to be experimented upon because of the kind of tenuous nature that um, people of color occupy, black people occupy within um, the employment hierarchy anyway. So it becomes really, really, um, you know, problematic. We think about this in terms of uh, inner city schools and scarcity. So even before the pandemic, we were talking about a lack of resources in inner city public schools, overcrowding in classrooms, now you're talking about a post-pandemic, you know, is there enough PPE putting kids into classrooms where right. there are other that, that's a That's a big ask. So that pushback is very understandable. Okay. We're going to keep you around for another segment because we just have to because you are just so amazing. We're going to talk about this book, where people can find it. You know, how did you decide, I'm just going to write this book. I'm going to put it all in one place and educate people so that, if and when something like this happens again, we don't repeat the same mistakes we made this time. We are talking to Dr. Yuhuru Williams on Still Talking. It is 8.20. I am talking to one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. He has a brand new book out that you definitely want to pick up. It is a must read. Uh, Dr. Yuhuru Williams is joining us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Dr. Williams, um, this this book is going to um, change folks' perspective. Uh, tell us all about it and um, the inspiration behind you writing it. Well, it's called Afterlife, A Collective History of Loss and Redemption in Pandemic America. And I co-edited it in, with um, Raylan Barnes, who was at Princeton University, and Carrie Lee Merritt. And we wrote it because we were, like everybody, kind of home, you know, dealing with the fallout from the pandemic and, mm-hmm. you know, questions about what did this moment mean? And often with historians, you know, you, you're looking at 30, 40 years before you get the first draft of history about what happened. Right. We can't wait. We need to kind of tackle this now and make meaning. And we were looking at, you know, everyone kind of focuses on the pandemic, but the reality is that we had three major kind of seismic shifts that took place. There was the pandemic, which then was followed with the racial reckoning occasioned by the murder of George Floyd and the um, you know, all of the, the, the protests that were taking place related to Breonna Taylor and Ahmed mm-hmm. Arbery and George Floyd. And then you had January 6th. So you have these three seismic mm. moments. And we said, look, we, we have to write this book and talk about how America gets over or deals with this sense of loss, both in the personal sense. So we have, you know, people writing about how small losses. There's a great essay by Eula Taylor. She talks about losing her Starbucks table, but really – what she's talking about is a loss of community. Those things that we Ooh. became accustomed to and familiar with that became part of our routine and what that meant. And then people who talked about larger issues. Keith Ellison contributed a phenomenal essay on his mother and his mm. influence, her influence on his, uh, his um, activism and choice of legal studies. Uh, I wrote about the reckoning in terms of um, the loss of my great-grandfather. One of the things that I talk about in my piece is that what the reckoning reminds us, particularly for black folks, is when Al Sharpton came here and delivered that eulogy on behalf mm. of George Floyd, he said, George Floyd's story has been the story of black folks in America. And I think for most African-Americans, and this is what I write about in that piece, we don't have to look very far into our own family history to find those common miscarriages of the American justice system. It happened in my family in the 1930s. Uh, my grandfather was killed. My uh, great uh, great uncle was killed. And the, the person who was involved in that was ultimately involved in a high-speed chase with police and was killed by the killed by those officers 
Um, the only reason the officers were charged for manslaughter in that case is that when they shot out the tires of his vehicle, um, they careened into a pair of white farmers killing those white farmers. So they had to do something about the death of those white farmers. So they charged the officers. But ultimately, the two officers were acquitted because they said that the Negroes caused the whole, quote, unquote, caused the whole thing. If they hadn't been running from the police and, and uh, trading in moonshine, the accident never would have happened. So I go back to the 1930s. I see that as I'm watching what's happening with George Floyd. And I said, we need, to, you know, we need to talk about all these things, the reckoning in terms of racial justice, how we're dealing with, um, you know, the, the challenge to American democracy as we know it. Um, as Nancy Pelosi famously put it, to have, you know, these uh, folks show up at the temple of democracy and to question free and fair elections, so on and so forth. And then the pandemic, we were just wanting to write about and get some smart folks of some creative people to kind of share their insights on what this mo- what these moments mean. How did we survive all that? I-, I mean, I didn't think about it until you said it. We had the pandemic. We had George Floyd. We had Breonna Taylor. We had January 6th. And then we had our own personal struggles, um, our children's personal struggles, death um, around us. Um, businesses closed, jobs um, that no longer exist, society as we know it. How are we still standing? You know, it's, it's interesting because I, one of the things that got me through was, was following you in humor. Um, mm. We are remarkably resilient people, and I think we adapted. I, You know, I look at, for example, the advent of Zoom and how um, what facility we now have with uh, digital communication, how Social media, which is now under assault um, with Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, helps all of us because we're social beings. So we have to connect. And it was, you know, we were fortunate to have some people who were just very good at connecting us in virtual spaces. Um, I follow you on Facebook. So I got my daily dose of humor. I'm an insight and that type of human connection just from the communities that we built in spaces that were virtual and not real. At the same time, what you talk about is major. I think about some of the businesses here in the Twin Cities that are gone, that won't come back. Mm -hmm. Things that were, I'll give you a very silly example, but it's a good one. Granny's Donuts in West St. Paul is gone. Don't even play with me. Baby, that was our Sunday, I mean, a Saturday morning stop. We will wake up early so we can be the first ones, and Granny's Donuts is gone. My kids are devastated. That is amazing that you said that. Me too. That was, uh, it's, um, and I, I realized that that was both the pandemic and then this housing crunch, but both mm. of those were um, exacerbated by the pandemic and, and the reckoning, you know, the, the reality that we don't have enough affordable housing in the Twin Cities. So when, you know, for me, the, the most compelling witness during the Chauvin trial was Alicia Euler, the very first witness. And people were like, you know, saying all kinds of horrible things about her. But to me, she was a portrait of everything that was wrong. Because she talked about doing shift work at the the service station. She talked about dropping out of high school in the 11th grade. She talked about being housing insecure. And then she says, Mm -hmm. you know, the worst of it is when the police come messing with people. She kind of encapsulated what the reality is for so many folks in our community. And then when you add to that, that incredible loss. So, you know, I I take for granted or took for granted that I can get my cup of coffee in the morning from, you know, or, or that, you know, I would be able to, well, what if you don't have a vehicle? What if you don't? Um, I, I think about a, a student of mine who wrote me during the uh, uprising and said, look, 
you know, the, the CVS closed and my grandmother needs uh, her medication and we don't have access to that. So the wow. pandemic kind of exacerbated in a very real way and, and, and shown in a very real, real way how we have to be resilient, but we also have to be more connected. I mean, we really need to, now that we talk about post-pandemic, we have to lead with our hearts. Yeah. Okay. So how can we get this book? Where is it available? Because folks are listening and we want to support the work that you are doing. Um, I'm on social media right now. And the good thing that I love about the folks who listen to this show is that we don't just engage in conversation online. And then when the commercial break happens, uh, you know, we stop talking. Brenda Grahams, Rebecca Pryor, uh, Michelle Inksland, Shirley Dennis, Brandon Benavides, Linnea Hoff, Nicole Young, uh, they are all on Facebook. Uh, Jackie Ball, Laura, Cheryl Pope, uh, Brenda Grahams is somehow on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and, and they are all um, chatting about this discussion. And they want to know, what's the name of this book again and where can I get it? So it's available on Amazon and the name again, um, and, and uh, barnesandnoble.com. Um, and the title of the book is Afterlife, A Collective History of Loss and Redemption in Pandemic America. By Dr. Uhuru Williams, it is a collection. He is working with some amazing people, and he has just been a blessing to us tonight on this show. Thank you for being on Still Talking. It is so great to spend some time with you, Shaletta. I love you. Thank you for everything you do. I love you, too, and thank you for being a voice because, you know, we think it. We just don't know how to say it. Um, and so when you are putting pen to paper and you are writing these books and you are um, an expert in these columns for the New York Times, you are saying everything we are thinking, but you are speaking it in a way um, that everyone can understand. So whether or not they've had the experience we've had, um, they can see it from our lens and it allows our stories to be told. And you are a storyteller Um for our generation and I just can't say thank you enough for speaking for me for my children for my grandmother for my mom for Sean for all of us you speak for us and that means something appreciate you Shalada thank you we really need new phones T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month new iPhone 15s it's better over here. only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.